Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Urban Meyer talked about this man coverage all day long and how Ohio State was going to have to sell out to stop the run, and it's bitten him. Another explosive play. This time it's Edwards. Anytime you get that one seal, Gus, if you don't have a support player there, the running back is gone. The most important block was the center, Oluwatimi, and Ryan Day is seeing the exact same theme play out for a second straight year. Hey, welcome into the program. Joel Klatt show here. I am Joel Klatt, and I am really excited uh, for this weekend. Even though these games have lost their luster a little bit as it relates to the playoff, we're still playing for trophies here, folks, and that's what I love, right? Um, lots to get into today. If you haven't uh, checked out Monday and Wednesday's episode of the Joel Klatt show, I encourage you to go back and do that. Uh, make sure to download, subscribe rate, review, and share it with a friend because we're having a lot of success here and it's due to you, the college football fans that join us every single episode. Uh, so we very much appreciate it. All right. I'm going to get into a preview of all of these Power 5 Conference Championship games. And uh, there's some interesting things going on in these games and with some of these teams that I want to get into. And and so, and then also, we, we do have to, at the end, at least acknowledge what this weekend could be and will be in the future. And so we'll do that, uh, of course, uh, with with the expansion looming uh, around the corner. By the way, I do know that, and, I, and I'll get into this hopefully next week, but we should have some answer as it relates to the timing of college football playoff expansion. Sometime this week, uh, reports were that the, the biggest hangup is the Rose Bowl, uh, the Rose Bowl has a deadline of today, or excuse me, yesterday. I keep forgetting. So I'm recording this on a Wednesday, and this is coming out Thursday. So we'll know what the Rose Bowl did um, uh, as far as giving their their answer or requests to the uh, college football playoff. Just a really quick aside on that and a point before I get into these games. The, the most difficult part about the Rose Bowl in, in this entire conversation, and I haven't really heard this talked about quite yet, is that the Rose Bowl, the, the, the people that are making the decisions for the Rose Bowl aren't necessarily the ones that are responsible for the Rose Bowl game. They're actually the Tournament of Roses um, uh, executives, if you will. And, and that entity, the Tournament of Roses, has a president that rotates every single year. So you've got to think of it from this standpoint. 
It's a big, massive organization, the Tournament of Roses, and they have a volunteer staff of hundreds of people. And, and some of those people have been around and on that staff for decades. And they wait their turn to become president, and they get their turn to be president one time, one year. Well, now all of a sudden that president has a say in the future of the game, the parade, timing, where the game lands, so on and so forth. Well, if you've been a part of the Tournament of Roses for a couple of decades and now you get your one shot to be a president, do you really want to upset the apple cart? No. So why has the Rose Bowl been the biggest sticking point to, to this date? It's partly because of that process. Uh, I wish that the Rose Bowl would actually give more power to the people that handle the game and the stadium rather than the Tournament of Roses. That's just an aside, and again, I didn't plan on going into that, but as we uh, are waiting on expansion and in particular waiting on the Rose Bowl, I wanted to give you kind of that, that background to what's going on and why they've been uh, such a big sticking point as it relates to expansion up to this point. Okay, let's get into these games. We got five of them. Let's start with the game I'm going to be at. Gus and I have the call for Purdue and Michigan. Big Ten Championship, Purdue versus number two, Michigan. So this line is 16 and a half. Michigan favored, by the way, if you didn't know. Um, and I'm really looking forward to see how Michigan reacts for the second straight year to winning the game. Last year, obviously, they came out and, and they threw the kitchen sink at Iowa and handled them and beat them soundly uh, in, in Indianapolis for a Big Ten title. Now they're looking for back-to-back -back Big Ten titles. Um, by the way, Can we finally put to bed this whole notion that, like, Jim Harbaugh maybe isn't a good coach? There are some out there, and to be honest, I, I just am dumbfounded by this thought. It's like, oh, he's overrated. How is Jim Harbaugh overrated? They're 12-0. They're 24-2. By the way, just if you evaluate what he's done only at Michigan. Okay, so throw away all the previous success that he's had in his career as a coach. And just take a look at his success at Michigan, taking over the program where it was and, and getting them to the point of where they are. And you would have no other recourse than drawing a conclusion that Jim Harbaugh is an elite college football coach. Elite. One of the best. Michigan in the last 26 games is 24-2. and two. That's the second best record in all of college football. Better than Bama, better than Ohio State, better than Clemson. The only team with a better record is Georgia. Georgia is the defending national champion. So Jim Harbaugh is an elite coach. I went through on, on Monday's ep episode the arc of how he built this program and how he built them specifically to match up with and, and, and beat now for the second straight year Ohio State. And it's, it's equal parts culture and it's equal parts development. You know, they've developed an, an, a line of scrimmage that is one of the best lines of scrimmage, whether it's defensive or offensive, in all of college football. And in fact, the sneaky key to this year's version of, of Michigan is that they're better on the interior of the defensive line than they were a year ago. So that's the reason why they've been able to be statistically a better team on defense than a year ago when they actually had better personnel on the edges. Okay, And, I, and I'm not offending anybody by saying that. Remember, Daxton Hill was a first-round pick. David Ajabo would have been a first-round pick had he not torn his Achilles in that pro day. 
Aiden Hutchinson was a top five pick. So they had better personnel a year ago, but they're better on the interior this year. And that has allowed them to be a better defense as a whole. They can sit there in much more safer coverages on first down and second down. And the reason I'm bringing all this up about their architecture is that it's going to directly impact their ability to play well against Purdue. So Purdue is a team that loves to throw the ball around, and they want to throw the ball around. The guys like Payne Durham, the tight end, and Charlie Jones, the wide receiver. Uh, wide receiver. And Michigan's ability to just sit there with, with, with a, a front seven that you would say is, is short a man in the box to defend the run and still defend the run well and keep safeties back, that's the reason why they were able to beat Ohio State. That's the type of game plan that they're going to need to have against Purdue. You're not going to allow Purdue to go off. And and that's Purdue's whole MO in games like this, and I'll get to that in a moment. A couple of players that I want to uh, touch on, and most of them young guys. Think about the young contributors that Michigan is having and has had um, now in this run this season. Guys that actually weren't contributing a, a great deal a year ago. Let me start on the defensive side. A couple of guys. Will Johnson, number one. He's a corner. And Mason Graham, a defensive tackle. So these two guys are getting a ton of time on this Michigan defense. And they have become bona fide problems for the other team. Will Johnson, you look up in the very first snap of the game against Ohio State, he's matched up with Marvin Harrison Jr. In many ways, he's become Michigan's best corner, and he's a true freshman. So he's playing really well, and we haven't really discussed his development during the course of the year. Mason Graham uh, from, from Southern California, he was a wrestling champion. He's gone in there as a defensive tackle, and he's been outstanding well over 300 pounds, and he allows them to have depth at that tackle position behind a guy like Mozzie Smith. On the offensive side, we've got more young guys rolling in there. How about Colston Loveland, the tight end? Remember, Eric All was going to be the tight end to begin the year, and then he's had this back injury and has not really played. Schoonmaker has been the, the preferred tight end. He got banged up, and now all of a sudden, Colston Loveland's out there making great catches and and scoring touchdowns in the game at Ohio State. Think of it this way. He's from Gooding, Idaho, and Colston Loveland's hometown is like 3,500 people. And so he's catching a touchdown pass in a stadium that has roughly 100,000 more people in it than his hometown. It's a pretty remarkable story. He's a true freshman. And then obviously, J.J. McCarthy, even though he got playing time last year, this is his first year as a starter. He's a young player. Donovan Edwards, same type of deal. It's kind of a third-string guy and would get spot time a year ago. Now, all of a sudden, with Corum's injury, he's going to be the featured back. This is a young core of Michigan players uh, that's going out there and, and making a run here at a back-to-back -back Big Ten titles. Um, real quick on Purdue, you can call them the spoiler makers, right? I like that nickname because of what they've done uh, over the years. Remember in 2018, they beat that number two Ohio State team at home, by the way, um, in, in West Lafayette, 49-20. Uh, 
They beat number two Iowa in Kinnick last year, 24-7. Beat Michigan State week after Michigan State had beat this Michigan team. They beat them 40-29. to And then they went out in a bowl game and beat a Tennessee team that has had a remarkable year this year. They beat Tennessee in the Music City Bowl, by the way, in Nashville, kind of in their own backyard, 48-45. There is a common theme to every one of these games and you can call them an upset um obviously in in the case of the top five games and then probably even in that tennessee games uh, game as well what is the common theme well if purdue is going to play with and eventually beat one of these great teams or even michigan this year it's going to be because they throw the ball all over the place and have a wide receiver that goes bonkers that's the common theme when you look at those games and those upsets, here's what you see. In 2018, the win over Ohio State, Rondell Moore went 12 catches for 170 yards. One of them was that epic run, if you remember, and he's spinning off of Ohio State defenders, and he's taking it the distance. Happened again last year, by the way, in both of their top five wins over Iowa and Michigan State, David Bell, the great receiver a year ago, went for 11 catches, 240 against Iowa, 11 catches, 217 against Michigan State. Went absolutely off. Then he decided to sit out and not play in the bowl game. And here comes Brock Thompson against Tennessee, seven catches, 217 yards. So what does that tell you about Saturday night in Indianapolis? If Purdue wants to win this game, either Payne Durham, the tight end, or Charlie Jones, more likely, the wide receiver, has to have a monster day. Charlie's almost got 100 catches. This guy transfers from Iowa. He's had a tremendous season. And Aiden O'Connell, with everything that he's dealing with, and I'll get into that in a moment, he and Charlie Jones are going to have to play the best game of football that they've ever played. And Charlie Jones is going to have to control the game, and he probably is going to have to have upwards of 10 catches, upwards of 200 yards. Now, his quarterback, Aiden O'Connell, uh, playing with a heavy heart. If you haven't heard, before the game last week with Indiana, um, Aiden got the news that his brother had passed. Um, you can imagine just how emotional he was, and he decided to still play and went out there and played and played pretty well. Remember, they had a deficit at half and came back and played really well in the second half to win that game, to win the old Oaken Bucket, win the division, and now put themselves into the Big uh, Ten championship game. And now he's going to have to try somehow to play that way again. He has been with his family uh, for the better part of the week, um, as he should be. And, and if he's able, he'll be out there and, and play with his teammates uh, for the right to call themselves Big Ten champs. Again, Michigan's favored by 16.5 in this game. This game is going to be 8 p.m. Eastern. Gus and I are going to have the call. Allison Williams will be with us on the sideline, and uh, I am very much looking forward to it. Hey, folks, it's your man, Keyshawn Johnson, here to talk about Angie, formerly known as Angie's List, your go-to home services, marketplace for getting all your jobs done well. Now you might be wondering, what exactly is Angie? Well, let me tell you. It's the nation's largest home services marketplace, connecting over 150 million homeowners with skilled professionals to tackle any project, big or small. As a homeowner myself, I always have things I want to work on for my house, whether it's general home renovations or fun projects like putting in a pool. With over 200,000 pros in their network, 
Angie makes it a breeze to research, compare, and hire pros, ensuring every job is done well. Whether you're fixing a leaky faucet or planning a full kitchen renovation, Angie's got your back. And get this, folks. Angie's pros aren't just any old contractors. They're your neighbors, often running small businesses right in your community. Plus, they've been rated and reviewed by others in your area. So you know you're getting quality service. So why stress over home projects when you can turn to Angie? From finding the best price to scheduling a pro at your convenience, Angie's got you covered every step of the way. So get started today at Angie.com. That's Angie.com or download the app today to get started on getting all your jobs done. That's Angie, your trusted ally in home services. All right, let's get after these other games here in a quicker fashion here. Let's move out to the Pac-12 in Vegas. Pac-12 championship, number 11, Utah versus number four, USC. Okay, so the Trojans are favored by two and a half. And the, the thing that I'm struck by with USC is that they have a quarterback that is playing at such an elite level right now that it's going to be really tough for Utah to win this game. Remember, Utah already beat USC, but they were at home. It was a very emotional night, and Cam Rising had one of the best games that he's ever played in his career, the quarterback for the Utes. So now Williams is even a different player than he was then. Now listen, he was playing great and, and kind of beat up Utah in a large uh, way because remember Utah had to go for it on a two-point conversion in order to win so so now Williams though he's taking his game to a totally different level he doesn't turn it over he is one of the most dangerous pocket passers in college football and then he becomes even more dangerous when he leaves the pocket his confidence is at a level where it's almost like he's playing with an arrogance about him that he just is like, I'm going to make the play regardless. Snap the rock and let's go. Caleb's game right now is as good as I've seen in a long time. He's running away with the Heisman Trophy. Uh, can't say I argue with that at all, actually. Uh, likely he's going to get my vote. And his style of play is a style that has really hurt Utah this year. Remember that that opening week loss to Florida? What hurt Utah in that game? Other than mistakes late from their offense, it was the fact that they couldn't deal with a mobile quarterback in Anthony Richardson. They have struggled with mobile quarterbacks all year long. They struggled with DTR in a loss to UCLA. They struggled with Caleb, obviously. Even though they were able to win that game, they struggled with Caleb. And now they're going to see him again. The difference now with USC is that I think that they're actually a more, more complete offense than the team that faced Utah earlier in the year because I actually think they're better running the football. Austin Jones has stepped up, and he's replaced Travis Dye in a big way and been able to run the ball very effectively. In fact, in back-to-back games, he's gone for over 120 yards. So that's an element to this team that maybe wasn't great early in the year, but now it's a balanced offense, and you're playing with a quarterback that's playing at a ridiculously high level. USC defensively is not great. We understand that. Their entire game plan is about creating havoc and takeaways, and they've been able to do that. They lead the country, right? Their turnover margin is better than anybody by a substantial margin, and it's actually one of the things that late in the season has crept up for Utah's offense that is not a good omen. In the last seven games, Utah has turned the ball over 11 times. I think that this is this is 
a bad matchup in that respect. And even though USC fans are going to kill me for this because you want me to remain consistent, I've gotten a lot of Trojan fans that say, Clat, please say that this is a bad matchup and that we're going to lose because you've done that in back-to-back weeks and they've won. But I don't feel that way. Utah doesn't have the emotion. They're not playing at Salt Lake. USC is a better version of what they were in the middle of the year, and I'm going to take USC in this game. I think USC wins the Pac-12, and I think that they go to the playoff, and I think that they cover that 2.5. It's a small number, and I think that they're able to get it done. USC wins the Pac-12 championship. Let's move on to the Big 12. Big 12 championship. Number 10, Kansas State versus number 3, TCU. Uh, uh, Another close line. TCU favored by two and a half, and I get it. I I totally understand this. You might be thinking to yourself, like, isn't TCU better than this? Well, yes, but I think we also underestimate Kansas State. Kansas State is a really tough out, and it doesn't seem, unless something happens during the game, that they'll be struggling at health um, at their quarterback position with health like they were in their first matchup against TCU. Remember, they built up a double-digit lead against the Horned Frogs in Fort Worth. And then all of a sudden, Adrian Martinez is not in the game. Will Howard is out there, the backup. Then Will Howard goes down, and all of a sudden, they've got to go with, I think it was uh, uh, Jake Rubley, if I'm not mistaken, uh, goes in there. Like, third-string quarterback. TCU comes back, and they win the game. So you can make an argument that, Hey, listen, Kansas State has continued to play better. Their offense has actually gotten better since that point. Will Howard in the last three games is actually playing very efficient football, seven touchdowns to only one interception. So, you know, maybe Kansas State in this game? Well, hold on for a moment because TCU has also gotten better. Maybe not offensively. They've been really good all year on the offensive side. We know what they are with Max Duggan pulling the trigger, with Kendry Miller at back, uh, running back, with Quentin Johnston on the outside, with a veteran, old-school, tough offensive line. I know what, they're, what they are on offense. The surprising part has been the development on the defensive side. For me, TCU has been one of the pleasant surprises in the development of their defense. Okay, uh, uh, Joe Gillespie, their defensive coordinator, he's, he's been a high school coach in Texas for a number of years, and, and now under Sonny Dykes, he's done a really good job. And when you look at it, you look at the splits, they're not dominating people on defense, but they're getting better every single week. Here's the evidence of that. In the month of October, I throw September out because you get a lot of cupcake games, right? You get those non-conference games. If you throw September out statistically and you start looking at the splits, what were you as a defense in October when league games started? Well, they were giving up about 420 yards per game through the month of October and about 5.8 yards per play. That's not great. And because of that, right, we had to see them come back from some of those deficits and the offense had to be outstanding. Then you see November. And they got better and better and better. Check out the, the the numbers in November for them defensively. 345 yards per game and 4.9 yards per play. So they were almost giving up you know, close to 100 yards less per game and almost a full yard per play less. That's big improvement. And now they're going to put that defense on display against that Kansas State team, which has also improved on the offensive side. I believe, and this this is, I firmly believe this, TCU should go to the playoff regardless of what happens in this game. Okay, regardless. I went over that, by the way, on Wednesday's 
podcast. So if you didn't listen to that episode, go back and listen to it because I outline exactly why Georgia, Michigan, and TCU should go regardless of outcome and how we're really only playing for one spot. And that really only comes down to USC and Ohio State. Please go check out that episode of the Joel Klatt Show. So TCU is only playing for the Big 12 title, but They've got a leader in Max Duggan that it doesn't matter if you're playing for a Big 12 title, if you're playing for Pop Rocks in the, in the park. This guy is a steely-eyed competitor. I'm going with the Horn Frogs. TCU wins. They cover the two and a half. Remember, it's it's somewhat in their own backyard. I think this team is on a mission. They get to 13-0, and they raise the trophy and become Big 12 champs. Let's move on. SEC championship, number 14, LSU versus number one, Georgia. Georgia is right now ranked number one. Even though you could make an argument for Michigan to be ranked number one, I think that at this point, as the defending champ, as the best team over the last 31 games in, in all of college football, they're 30-1, and one, by the way, in the last 31 games. That's the best in the country. Um, this team in this game is dangerous. Why is that? Well, you could make an argument that this is the exact scenario as last year, going to the playoff regardless. And they went out and threw out their worst performance of the year, gave up over 40 points to Alabama. And that's that's true, but that game is also in the back of their mind. You really think Kirby Smart is not hammering this team all week long with that score against Bama in this game? Let me tell you a quick story. In 2004, the team I played on, um, which was not a great team, but we were a gritty team, ends up winning the Big 12 North and facing a very good undefeated Oklahoma team in the Big 12 title. This is Jason White's uh, Oklahoma team. Adrian Peterson is a true freshman. This is a really good Oklahoma team. It just so happened that the year prior, Oklahoma, as one of the best teams in the country, which was going to be in the BCS National Championship game, probably regardless of if they beat Kansas State or not, in the same location in Kansas City, lost to Darren Sproles and that Kansas State team. So they came out that next year in 2004 and whooped our butts, in large part due to the fact that they had not won that game the previous year. In fact, at the coin flip, cold night, Kansas City, Field is terrible. The conditions are terrible. It's basically like dirt painted green. I walk out for the coin flip for the captains. Dan Cody, an All-American defensive end, walks out, and he was one of the most impressive defensive linemen I had seen all year long. And he's got Vaseline rubbed on his, you know, because it's a cold night, so rubbed on his arms and everything for, for warmth. And I'm just like, man, like, these guys look. I mean, Adrian Peterson's warming up. Right? Like they, they they looked the part. Dan Cody walks out and and we all shake hands before the coin flip. And normally you're just like, hey, you know, like good year, good luck, you know, pleasantries. Dan stares me in the eyes, looks at me while shaking my hand firmly, and says, Stay safe. I was like, wait a second. What? This isn't going to end well for us. Sure enough, first third down of the game, this dude hits me so hard. I mean, like, and it's cold, so my, the, the pads in my helmet are basically frozen. He hits me so hard, 
lights go out for a moment. I'm skidding on my back on the green dirt. And then he's face mask to face mask with me. And he's just growling. And I was like, oh my gosh. Needless to say, they were motivated not by playing us in that uh, game, but by the loss the previous year. That's what I think is going to happen with Georgia this year. They're going to be motivated by losing last year to Alabama. It's a big deal to hoist the SEC championship trophy, right? It just means more down there. Well, they didn't get to do that last year, even though they were national champs, and I think that they're going to try to right that wrong this year. Remember, they've only lost one game in the last 31 games, and it was a game in which Jamison Williams and John Mechie, even though Mechie was, I believe, hurt in the game, they went off. Well, LSU doesn't have that dynamic passing game to get them out of the run box to threaten the safeties. So it, when you look at this, like Georgia's going to win the game. It's just a matter of if they're going to cover the 18 and a half. I think that they will. Why do I think that they will? Well, it's not that I don't think LSU um, is, isn't a decent team. I'm just going to lay something out for you where their win against Alabama is the outlier. Okay. This LSU team has done the following this year. They lost to Florida State in the opening week. They lost at home to Tennessee by 27. They lost to A&M by 15. They beat Auburn and Arkansas by a combined seven points. Oh, then they beat Alabama. So which one is the outlier? Well, which one are you? You see, I actually revert back to the mean. So to me, you're more the team that lost to FSU and Tennessee and A&M and beat Auburn and Arkansas by seven combined. You know, like this, this is not a great matchup for LSU. I don't think they're a great team. I think they struck lightning in a bottle on one night and beat Alabama. And by the way, this Alabama team is not nearly what they have been during the course of Nick Saban's run. So maybe LSU is a little overrated. Maybe they're a little, um, I don't know, high on the horse, if you will. Now you're going to face a motivated Georgia team that didn't win this game this last season against Alabama. You know what I'm telling you? Georgia covering the 18 and a half. I think that they're going big and I think that they beat LSU handily. All right, final one. ACC championship, number 23, North Carolina versus number nine, Clemson. North Carolina coming off back-to-back -back losses. Clemson's favored by seven and a half. Um, this game has no bearing whatsoever on the playoff and none of them really do outside of USC, but this one not even close. And the best part about this game is going to be able, I guess, watch Drake May. He's fa he's fabulous. I love Drake May. UNC, uh, North Carolina, dead last in scoring defense in the ACC, but they are first in scoring offense. Clemson's got to figure out their quarterback position. DJ Uyunglele is like, I just, I'm sorry, I, I, I don't see it. He's way too inconsistent for you to try to be a, a, a top 10 team, a top five team, really because that's where they have been throughout Dabo's tenure. So like to get back there, they've got to figure out the quarterback play. Um, just to give you a sense of, of these two teams, let me just run down their year like I did with LSU. These two teams played one possession games this year with Wake Forest, Florida State, Syracuse, App State, Georgia State, Miami, Duke, and Virginia. They, they lost to Notre Dame, South Carolina, Georgia Tech, and NC State. These are not very good teams. Okay, North Carolina coming off back-to-back -back losses. Only reason I would watch this game, I guess, is Drake May. 
right? They're going to hand out an ACC title at the end of this. The ACC is so clearly the worst Power Five conference this year. I'm not saying that every year or over the course of a decade. I'm just saying this year and this championship game proves it. Clemson's favored by seven and a half. To be honest, I'm not sure. I think I would take North Carolina, right? I would take the seven and a half and take North Carolina in that game just because I really think Drake May is outstanding. Now, I just touched on something. All of these games don't really have many, if any, in implications on the playoff. And that's that's sad, <laughs> if, if I'm being honest. I wish that it was different. I wish that we had um, a structure of the sport that, that made it different. And so this is what it would be if we had the expanded playoff. We would still have – right now I think that there's five teams basically alive for a playoff berth. And right now, in an expanded playoff, we would still have, what, 20 teams? I'll just list them off. Georgia, LSU, Alabama, Tennessee, Michigan, Purdue, Ohio State, Penn State, TCU, Kansas State, USC, Utah, Washington, Oregon State, Oregon, maybe, in an at-large situation, Clemson, North Carolina, Florida State, maybe in an at-large, and then Tulane and UCF. And every one of these games would be winning in. Winning in, and if not, you're going to be – hopefully an at-large team. It's going to be so much better. That's why it's so important that the playoff and the Board of Governors expand as quickly as they can. They need to figure out this Rose Bowl thing so that they can expand by 2024 because right now we've got a week in which conference championship game weekend doesn't really matter. There's one game this weekend that really have playoff implications outside of potential injuries, and that's USC on Fox Friday night in Vegas against Utah. So we'll be watching that one intently. Um, by the way, Ohio State will be watching watching that one intently as well. That's going to do it for this week's uh, Joel Klatt Show. I hope you enjoy the games. Remember, Big Ten Championship game. Gus and I have the call Michigan and Purdue, 8 p.m., coming from Indianapolis on Fox. If you want to follow the show on social media, it's Joel Klatt Show. You can follow me at Joel Klatt on Twitter, at Joel underscore Klatt on Instagram. Can't wait for these games, and we will be back with a brand new episodes of the Joel Klatt Show next Monday, next Wednesday, next Thursday, and hopefully we'll have some coaching news, more coaching news, and maybe get some of these new coaches on the show uh, and bring them to you as we move forward. Thanks for listening, everybody. Enjoy your weekend of college football.